Hello and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch the Muppet Movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I am your other host, Ryan Rowe. And today we are looking at minutes 75 and 76 of the Muppet Movie. We open as Kermit finds his friends jamming with the Electric Mayhem, and we end as a motorcycle cop approaches the Electric Mayhem bus two minutes later. So it's just you and me on the show today. Yeah, just the two of us. How about that? But I think that's probably fine because there's a lot of ground to cover in these two minutes. I think so, yeah. And we start with uh, Kermit coming back. You know, he's had his his moment of self-realization out in the desert. Talking to himself. Talking to himself, um, but not much. (laughs) And now he comes back to not only find his friends... He finds his friends joined by the Electric Mayhem, and they are jamming out to a great instrumental version of Can You Picture That when we first see them. Yeah. Which I always really loved this this little reprise of that, It's even though it's not on the soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. I, I wish we had the full recording of this arrangement. Yeah, it's great. Um, I, I think we talked about Never Before, Never Again, and I hope that something better comes along. Those instrumentals are on the soundtrack, so I, I kind of wonder why this one was left off. Honestly, yeah, I, I don't know. I it doesn't seem like it would be an issue of length because it can't be that long. So I don't know. Right, we, we hear it on screen for about forty-one seconds. Right, but yeah. So, anyways, everyone's jamming, everyone's having fun, um, and what's great is Kermit. There's this shot of him. He does a huge open mouth grin and he starts slow swaying along with the music. Yeah. Right. He's just kind of like bopping back and forth, listening to, can you picture that reprise? And like, it's such a huge change from where we saw him last episode. Absolutely. Everyone. Well, so everyone in this moment now, they were, everyone was miserable. Now they've been saved by the arrival of the electric mayhem with their bus. And now everyone is just ecstatic. So, they're all dan- like kind of dancing, like you say, swaying back and forth to the music. And then as soon as Kermit kind of realizes that that's what's happening, yeah, he it's like the music just grabs him. He's doing a little boogie back and forth. Right. Well, and not only that, he actually says, hey, what's happening? And Floyd says the most perfect Floyd thing. At the moment, we're what's happening. And what's great about that is that he's not wrong. Like, <laughs> The tone of the movie, like, I mean, we, it, it just, it shifts into this joyful exuberance just because the electric mayhem showed up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There have been many other movies, TV episodes and things where it, just when it seems like all hope is lost for the hero, uh, a character that we met earlier in the movie swoops in unexpectedly to save the day. But I can't think of many examples where it's it's just as happy as this scene is yeah that's a good point um and then also of course kermit asks how did you find us and dr teeth says easy we read the screenplay you left us exterior desert night we knew right where you were of course the movie is getting further and further away from any kind of rules in reality 
Right. Well, and like you say, it's a very common moment in movies for like an old supporting favorite fan favorite character to show up and just be kind of like, hey, I'm back. Yeah. I'm trying so, to think of examples. The only examples I can think of right now are spoilery. I don't, you know, don't want to spoil yeah, I, things for people. But I think it's fine to not discuss specifics, but I think most of our listeners can probably think of one or two of their own, which if you'd like to leave them in the comments, yeah. please, we, we welcome comments. With a spoiler warning. Right. Spoiler warning, Joseph Cotton shows up carrying the sled rosebud or whatever, right? Right. Just just when Citizen Kane was about to uh, get uh, killed by the bad guy. Yeah, I think that's what happens in Citizen Kane, yeah. right? He shows up with the sled and everything's okay. Everything's just fine because Joseph Cotton's carrying that sled and writing dramatic crematisms. Yep. Um, but before, before Dr. Teeth p- pulls out the screenplay... One thing that I really love that I don't think gets discussed as much is he has to tell Zoot and Animal both to stop playing. Yeah. And I wrote it down. What he says is, Zoot, hey, Zoot, uh, hold it, hold it. Animal, cool it back there. Ha <laughs> ha, all right. Right. And what I love about it is they're smiling and laughing the whole time. Like, he's trying to get his band under control. He's trying to remind them both to stop playing. But he's so upbeat about it. Yeah, the whole the whole time he's still just like, oh man, this is just great. Everything that's going on right now is so great. Right, I just love it. Uh, we didn't mention I. Um, Ralph is definitely playing the harmonica along with the band. That really adds a lot to the song. It makes it sound kind of maybe a little bit bluesy and just it's it's a funkier arrangement than the one we heard before and i think fozzy is playing the acoustic guitar that he played in the the previous song i can't really hear it in the the song but i it looks like he's strumming away on his little guitar yeah i i can't really hear it either you're right although he's definitely playing it uh later on in these in these minutes right and then scooter is uh you you can barely see him behind Gonzo, but he is playing a tambourine. So good for you, Scooter. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice that Scooter has something to do. Yep. Somebody somebody invited him along. Yeah, they're just like, here, grab uh, one of those percussion instruments and make some noise. Right, just like uh, earlier in the movie when he was playing the ribbed fish thing. Exactly. On, on the original, can you picture that? Yeah. Um, again, after Dr. Teeth points out the screenplay... Um, and honestly, I'll, well, I'll say this about the screenplay moment. It's kind of impressive to me that that isn't the point when this movie goes completely off the rails. Like, <laughs> are that, you suggesting that, that it hasn't yet gone completely off the well, rails? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm suggesting that. All um, right. I think that it would have been very easy for Dr. Teeth pulls out the screenplay like the second time. To signal like a Blazing Saddles esque shift out of reality or something, right? You, you know how Blazing Saddles ends them on the Warner Brothers lot. And yeah, they they around. just completely abandon uh, the the pretense of the actual setting of the movie. Right, right, and th- that this movie does that too, but not until it has actually wrapped up its story with a satisfactory conclusion. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's still. They're they're not playing by any kind of rules, but they're they're still uh, committed to the narrative, right? And I I don't know I, I think that's interesting. I think that it would have been very easy for this movie to just have a chaotic ending. Yeah, and I I admire that 
that it actually pays off the storyline, as we will see. <laughs> yeah, I um, wonder if they considered something much more silly and cartoonish and and less less satisfying in a in a beginning, middle, and end kind of way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I mean, I I not to belittle this joke, which I think is a great joke and an amazing moment in the movie. Um. I just think it's impressive that afterwards Janice says. Like, can you get behind it? And then yeah. we're back on track. Like, then it's the next morning, and we're we're driving down the road in the Electric Mayhem bus. Um, but on the on the topic of like, can you get behind it? You know where that is on the soundtrack, I assume. It comes right at the end of the other. Can you picture that? Yeah, it comes right at the end of. Can you picture that? And I always like every time I watch the movie. I'm thrown that that isn't where Janice says that. Right, me too. Because on the soundtrack, it's when like all the instruments are playing kind of chaotically at the end of the song, and she says, "Like, can you get behind it for sure, really?" And then the song winds up that way. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's totally different here. So I I wonder what made them decide to put that there on the soundtrack. I don't know. I wonder a lot of things about the soundtrack because, as we've mentioned before, the songs are not in the order that they appear in in the movie so right for some reason they made those decisions yeah we should uh look into it we should we should find out who was in charge of putting the soundtrack together at henson henson international music or whatever it was called at the time would that have been it, it was henson universal music right hum yeah i think that's right Hum. yeah yeah hum <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know. I have no idea who produced the soundtrack album, but I'm sure somebody did. We should look it up, and we should try to get in contact with them. Yeah. Do an expose. <laughs> All the secrets of the Muppet movie soundtrack revealed. That's right. It's going to be good. Stay tuned to toughpigs.com for that in the future. Maybe. Or don't. Or don't. Um, <laughs> speaking of things happening and when they are going to happen, uh, Dr. Teeth asked what time they need to be there. And Kermit says that the audition is 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I had forgotten about that. Now, yeah, well, that's because this is the first time in the movie, 76 minutes in, 75 minutes in, this is the first time that we've heard any kind of concrete info about right. what the auditions are. Like, right. As we've previously discussed, the ad Bernie the agent gives him doesn't have any date or time listed at all. It just says open auditions for Frogs Worldwide Studios. Yeah, and there was a scene that I think we talked about in... What's another word for famous? It's both famous and infamous. <laughs> okay. There was a scene in the infamous June 12th, 1978 draft of the screenplay where Kermit is talking to his friend George, and he does mention in that scene that the, the uh, auditions are... I think 10 days away from when uh, Kermit meets Bernie the agent, but they totally cut that sort of ticking clock out of the movie, possibly because they didn't want to impose that on like all the crazy things that happen in the movie. Because I think if you were constantly thinking, Oh man, now they only have nine days. What are they going to do now? They only have eight days. What are they going to do? I think it would make it harder to, just sit back and enjoy all the shenanigans that happen. Yeah. So what we're left with is Kermit pulling out of thin air two o'clock tomorrow afternoon, I, which I wonder why they didn't just have him say tomorrow, just tomorrow. 
was tomorrow, which would make as much sense, right? Because yeah. But also, it. I mean, again, until this moment, until we were looking through this movie, minute by minute, two minutes at a time, I've never once thought about it. But now I am thinking about it. How does Kermit know when they are? Right. You mean because there was no time listed in the ad? Right, there was no time listed in the ad, and we never saw him find one out. But, I mean, I guess you can just find out in some fan fiction, probably. If you want to write it, let me know. Don't let me know. Don't let Ryan know. Just let me, at Zeppo Marxist, send me the <laughs> correctly on your Kermit Acquires the Time of the Auditions fanfic. There was, there was no phone Only. number in the ad, right? So he, he couldn't Correct. have called. Unless he just called you know, talk to the operator or, or, you know, he dialed 411 for information and asked for the number for Worldwide Studios. Right. You might have done that. But do they have phones in the swamp? I don't know. Um, but he does see a double feature in town every Saturday. Right. There must be a pay phone at the movie theater. Yeah, it's not like he never goes. It's not like the, it's not like when we see him go to the El Slizo is his first trip into town. He goes every Saturday. Right. Um, Dr. Teeth says, hop in. We'll have breakfast at Hollywood and Vine." When I was a kid, I thought that was the name of a restaurant. Well, you know, it, there is actually a restaurant, uh, I think, in Hollywood Studios at Disney World called Hollywood and Vine. But that's a very, you know, self-aware. Like, that's named after the famous intersection many years after the fact. Right, of course. But, although, yeah, you said it's Walt Disney World? I think so. I, some... People are correcting me right now silently as they listen to this, but yeah. Sure. So probably it was, I mean, that, that park opened in the early 70s, so it wouldn't have had any, I mean, probably Dr. Teeth is not talking about that. <laughs> no, he's definitely not. In fact, that specific park opened in the late 80s, so definitely oh, not. Definitely not. But the real Hollywood Vine is a famous intersection in Hollywood, California, where Hollywood Boulevard meets Vine Street. And uh, in the old days of show business, there were a lot of radio and movie production facilities there. And um, so I found this out. The intersection, um, well, so th that, that general area is the heart of the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And right at the intersection of Hollywood and Vine is where you can find the Hollywood Walk of Fame stars for Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. Wow. The astronauts who got their stars for being on TV. They got their stars for being on TV uh, on the moon? Yeah, millions and millions of people watch them go to the moon on TV. So they're they're television stars. It, it really says television? It really does? Yeah, yeah. That, you know, because every star has like a little... Yeah, it has like the little logo for what... Yeah, it's what either media. TV or movies or recording yeah. or... I don't know. They have a few more. But yeah, they got theirs for TV. That's that's amazing. They went to the stars and got their own stars. Buzz Aldrin was on Thirty Rock, and that's why he has a star. Yes, that's in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, yeah, he has a an extra special star for that reason. There you go. That's wow. That thank you. You're welcome. Um, so then, um, they do hop in. They're going to have breakfast at Hollywood and Vine. It's the next morning. All of a sudden, we cut from evening to. Sun's coming up. Everybody's in the bus. And they all start singing the title song of this podcast again. Yeah. And by singing the title song, I mean they sing only the line, moving right along. Yeah, just enough to uh, to kind of transition into this, this next on-the-road scene. Right. Although what's great about it is Fozzie is playing his guitar, as we alluded to earlier. 
and he's looking down at his fingerings, and he only looks up to sing the line. Oh, I didn't really pick up on that. He's yeah, that's he when they up. cut inside the. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, when he they looks cut up inside the bus, and then looks back down again. I like. I love the idea that he's concentrating so hard on his guitar playing, but like they're doing the sing along of his big number. Like he needs to join in. Yeah, although you would think that he would know the song because he sang it already. I don't know. He sang it. That's true. He's never played it on the guitar before. Yeah, he didn't play the guitar. Kermit played the banjo. He was right. driving. Right. So he's just trying to learn. That sounds like Fozzie, though, right? Like it's oh, his absolutely. Song. He's playing guitar. He feels like he should know how to play it, but he never learned it yet. And nobody's really paying attention to him because the rest of the band is playing, but he still just feels like he, he wants to, he really wants to do it as well as he can. He doesn't want to mess this up. He does, the bear doesn't want to be responsible for the failure. Right. Man, poor Fozzie. That's why we love Fozzie, though. There you go. So everybody is playing, uh, everybody is singing, moving right along. They're having fun. And where are they having fun? On the Electric Mayhem bus which I think is one of the more memorable things. I mean, we've talked a lot about vehicles in this movie, but when people talk about Muppet stuff, this is one of the things that comes up very often. Yeah, nobody ever... People remember the Studebaker. Nobody ever remembers the station wagon. Nobody talks about that. But the Electric Mayhem bus is a very memorable vehicle, both inside and out. It just feels like the perfect thing for the electric mayhem to be uh, driving around in. Mm-hmm. And well, and it had like a strangely long afterlife. It's true. Uh, from this movie. We all remember it from the Muppets big hit Muppets from space. Well, even before that though, I uh, presumably this exact bus, as far as I can tell, uh, rode in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 1979 with a bunch of Muffet, Muppets. Uh, I just said Muffets. <laughs> <laughs> Little Miss Muffet was riding this bus uh, with a bunch of Muppets, uh, you know, just riding the bus and sticking their heads out and waving at people. Right. So. Which, man, I wish video existed of that. I'd love to Well, it must exist somewhere. Some, you know, we'll, we'll come across it eventually. Right. But yeah, then 20 years later. 20 years later, it's in Muppets from Space, where they drive the Electric Mayhem bus down to the beach. They all take a road trip together. Um, it's the same bus. It is. Like, whoever owned it, they found the bus, and the Jim Henson Company repurchased it or borrowed it, maybe? I'm not sure. Do you know? I think... I don't know. So, Muppet Wiki has a lot of great information on it. I don't know if they specify how the Henson company got it back to use in Muppets from space. But yeah, I, I think it was owned by somebody else by that point And they bought it back, bought it back. They redid it. They put, they replaced all the 45s uh, on the wall with CDs, which I think is really kind of stupid. It's funny, but it seems unnecessary. Right. Well, and I just don't know. It doesn't seem like something Dr. Teeth would do. I don't know. No, probably not. Um, but yeah, it's in the movie, and it was, like, all over the, the marketing for that movie. My my daughter has an Electric Mayhem bus that she can look through, and it shows the Muppets from Space poster. <laughs> right, that's a, that's a Wendy's Kids Meal toy, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, yeah, I think that's right. But, it, like, that's crazy to me that they were putting out toys of the Electric Mayhem bus well, it's in just such a, Yeah, it's just such a cool-looking... 
vehicle though it's it's all these psychedelic colors if you look on the back you can't really see them in these shots but all the the band members names are painted on the back and i like to think that you know they they just all painted their own names uh, given what we saw when they painted the studebaker it's it's not hard at all to imagine the electric mayhem just uh you know going crazy and painting this bus right um so i can't remember if we talked about this earlier scooter says he's the man with the van do we think this is what he's talking about? Well, we don't see any indication that they have any other vehicles, so I guess it is. I think the the joke was just intended to be kind of a throwaway line, but uh, yeah, that means that Scooter owns this bus and just lets the band drive around in it. Um, so I, I am actually looking on Muppet Wiki, and it did have quite a strange journey uh, after 1999. I don't know that we need to read it all out loud, here, but uh, interested listeners, you should go check out the Electric Mayhem Buses Muppet Wiki page because it is chock full of great information. Yeah, well, we can at least mention that ultimately the the bus sadly met with a sad end when uh, it was purchased by uh, a fan after Muppets from Space. They used it for a bunch of like. Uh, events you know, people would come and take their pictures with it and stuff and but then uh, at some point the bus was destroyed in a fire i don't know how the fire got started i don't know any other details but uh the bus is no longer with us so um <laughs> r.i.p electric mayhem bus r.i.p electric mayhem bus indeed so from that sad story we move along to a delightful one yeah. Um, back in the movie, uh, looking out the rear windows of that same bus, Miss Piggy leans over to Kermit and says, Kermy, whispers sweet nothings into my ear. Kermit says, motorcycle cop. This is one of my favorite things in this entire movie. <laughs> the way that Ker- Miss Piggy just kind of looks baffled at him and says, motorcycle cop is a sweet nothing. I definitely didn't know what a sweet nothing like. Like, first of all, it's such an old timey phrase. I think it even was in 1979. I think that is almost certainly true. Yeah. And so I mean, I had no idea what that meant when I was a kid, but I always thought this was hilarious, and I still do. There's just something, something about that exact sentence. Motorcycle cop is a sweet nothing. <laughs> well, Carmen's delivery is so dry, like we find out in a second that he sees a motorcycle cop chasing them, but he, he does not seem alarmed at all. It's just motorcycle cop. Yeah. It's just something that he happens to see. Yeah. I, now that you say that though, I wonder how old the, the phrase sweet nothings is. Yeah. I don't know. Was there a time when, when people would actually talk about like, I, I had a day last night and I whispered sweet nothings in her ear. That sounds like something you would hear in an Ernst Lubitsch movie. Now that you say it like that. Yeah, could be. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, listeners, if anyone knows the <laughs> history behind Sweet Nothings, let us know. Yes, you, give us a call and whisper Sweet Nothings about Sweet Nothings. Right. So anyways, after the Sweet Nothing moment, uh, Kermit tells Dr. Teeth to pull over. And I'm pretty sure Janice says, Drag City. Drag kind of, City. It kind of sounds like Scrag City. And well, I don't... I don't think she says Scrag City, but that's what it sounds like to me. But I know it's Drag City. What would Scrag City mean? 
It's part of Scraggle Rock. <laughs> of course. Yeah. From Down TV. in Scraggle Rock. Yep. You know. That's that's where you'll find Scrag City. Yeah. Would watch. It, it kind of sounds like uh, like a, a, a sci-fi... Actually, you know, I'm probably thinking of... Is it Battlestar Galactica where they say frag? Yes. Yeah. So it, it sounds like it could be like a, a futuristic slang. Like, hey man, scrag that. It does sound like that. Um, don't they say frack on Battlestar Galactica? Oh, that's what it is. Frack. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, it's not Lobo, too far off. Lobo says frag all the time. Oh, okay. I I was conflating Battlestar Galactica with the DC Comics character Lobo. How often do you think anyone has done that? Pretty rarely. They have very di- very different tones. Yeah. But the way things are going uh, with pop culture these days, eventually I'm sure we will get a Lobo Battlestar Galactica crossover. That's going to be a mediocre comic, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. Um. Anyways, then Dr. Teeth starts lift- listing off euphemisms for police. He says, man with the badge, the police. And uh, that's that's where we get cut off on these minutes. We don't get to hear the end of that joke, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah there is a joke coming. Um, and we also don't know who the motorcycle cop is yet. Um, it's a cliffhanger. It's another mystery. No, I mean, maybe they were going too fast. Maybe Dr. Teeth changed lanes without signaling. It could be any number of things. This motorcycle cop is just after them. Maybe maybe the motorcycle cop is John Candy, and he's going to arrest the Salis brothers. Yeah, and then Dr. Teeth's going to start crying. Yeah, maybe. We'll find out next week. Yep. All right, so uh, before we go, any final thoughts? I do. So I mentioned earlier the notorious June 12th, 1978 draft of the screenplay. There are a few differences in the, the material that we see here. So starting when Kermit asks what's happening in that draft, Floyd says, at the moment, we're about to modulate. Ah. And that... That is that's funny, but that is not as good as at the moment we're what's happening. Agreed. Uh, also, in so in the screenplay, they had previously when Kermit and Fozzie met the Electric Mayhem, they had a different like a, a celebrity cameo as their drummer, and he said he was thinking about getting into real estate or insurance or something like that. So in in this scene, Animal, who had joined the road trip with uh, with Scooter in the previous scene or two, has now joined the band as their drummer for the first time. That would have been interesting to see, but again, unnecessary. Yeah, I'm really glad they didn't do any of that. Yeah, it just kind of makes everything uh, cleaner, tighter. And right. then uh, it, it, the script describes them as playing something called Floyd's Reunion Song which is a very bright, happy song, perhaps a song that out of this context would appear to be about lovers that broke up and are now reuniting, but has another obvious meaning in this context. I would honestly love it if the Electric Mayhem did a new song at this point in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say that. I, I would have liked to hear what Paul Williams and Kenny Asher came up with for that, and I especially would have liked to hear a song here with Floyd taking the lead vocal. Yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to hear Jerry Nelson sing. Yeah. And, you know, Floyd gets to take a verse earlier in this movie. but He does. Uh, yeah, more more Floyd is always a good thing. 
Yeah. Although there's something about that description of out of context, it would appear to be about lovers that broke up and are now reuniting. That reminds me of the the basic theme of together again from the Muppets Take Manhattan. Sure. So maybe they, yeah, maybe they kind of held on to that that germ of an idea. Um, they also specify in the scene that Hollywood is 250 miles away, which raises the stakes a little bit more. So they have to get, they have to travel 250 miles by two o'clock the next afternoon. Right. And huh. then when we see them in the bus, we get the, a description that says, Miss Piggy and Janice are sitting at a dressing table discussing makeup. Ralph is at a kitchen area drying some dishes. Several of the cast are asleep in bus seats. And in that case, I'm so glad they replaced that with the whole bus full of Muppets uh, jamming to moving right. right along. It's much better. Yes. Yeah. I don't think we need a kitchen area and a, and some makeup talk for the girls. Right. And also that scene, I really can't picture Janice talking to Piggy about makeup. Whoa, it does. It just sounds like <laughs> we need girl business here. Yeah, it's it, it, some female talk. Like, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, that, that that's not quite. That, that that's all wrong. Yes. All right. So, as Kermit the Frog himself would say, I think that just about brings us down to the end of another one. But before we go, uh, thank you for listening to Moving Right Along. Please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you can find it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. You can follow Ryan at me, Ryan Rowe. And please, if you're so inclined, give us a positive review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's sometimes called, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Positive reviews help us get more listeners. Tell all your friends about the show. That, too, will help us get more listeners. Mm-hmm. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye! Bye. Motorcycle cop. <laughs>